You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. We're going to be in the book of James this evening, and uh, in the book of James, and uh, we'll be back in James 3. It's been a it's been over a month since we were in this together, and uh, we were in here a while back, and then I'm, I'm going to be finishing this text, James chapter 3, and uh, before we do that, I just want to give you just a couple of, uh, of comments here, just reminders or backgrounds of the book of James, and, and uh, James chapter, James is really, to this point so far, James has been giving us a series of tests. Uh, under which we're to submit ourselves to see if there's maturity in our Christian lives. And these tests have been things like the test of trials. Uh, test number, the first test he mentioned was the test of trials, that your response in a trial reveals your maturity as a child of God. There's the test then of temptation. Your, te- your, your response to the temptation to sin is a, is a revealer of your maturity as a child of God. Then, then there's the test of doing versus hearing. And uh, if you simply hear and do not do, that's a reflection of, of where you are in your Christian life. And, and he goes through these tests. He talks about the test of impartiality toward those that have less. When they come into a, a church service, if we are the kind uh, that, that show favoritism um, rather than impartiality, that's a revealer of our maturity level. And then the one that we've just, in, in James chapter 2 and then James chapter 3, I think is kind of a part of this. It's the test of works. And uh, James begins to uh, confront then a specific area of works in our life. And that is our speech. And nobody likes to hear messages on, this, on the tongue. Okay, let's just be honest. It's one of those that feels like it's meddling. And yet it's one of those that we absolutely and desperately need. It's one, I, I don't know that there is, uh, that anything else causes, at least for in this Christian's life, I don't know that anything else causes this Christian more trouble than my tongue. I don't know that there's any more trouble in any other area than in my speech. Jesus Christ said in Matthew 12, O generation of vipers, how can ye being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And what Jesus was saying is our words are windows into our hearts. If you want to know what your heart is like, then listen to your speech. If you want to know what you, the condition of your heart, listen to your words, listen to a person's words. That's the message of Jesus. And James is backing it up right here as well. John MacArthur said that what you are will inevitably be disclosed or revealed by what you say. It might be said that a person's speech is a reliable measure of his spiritual temperature. It's a monitor. Uh, if you think about a monitor, it's a monitor of the inward human condition. It is a revealer of our hearts. And the tongue is the subject of James 3. So I'd like to then go over these first 12 verses together. Let's stand and read these. And uh, then we will we'll get into uh, dissecting it a little bit. James chapter 3 Begin reading in verse 1. Last time we covered the first couple of verses. He, said, my, he says in verse 1, My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. 
And we talked about that point last time. I'll review it in just a little bit. But basically, they were trying to be teachers. They were, they were striving to be heard. They were striving to be the ones up in front, giving instruction and being heard. And he said, before you think that's a really good gig, be careful of that. Because the more you say, the more you're going to be, going to be judged for. And that, that, that's a sobering thought for all of us in here who, who teach or preach or have responsibility of standing up in front of other people and declaring words, you have more to answer for as a teacher. And that's a sobering thought. Verse 2, for in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man and able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouths that they may obey us and we turn about their whole body Behold also the ships, which, though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet they are turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it, that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. And these are hard words, aren't they, about the tongue. Verse 7, For every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison, Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Doth the fountain send forth of the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either of vine, figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh." We'll stop our reading there, but I'm going to continue the thought that I started last time, and that is this, the most dangerous church member. The most dangerous church member. And I'm not talking about a person. I'm talking about the tongue. The most dangerous church member, he says in verse 5 again, even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. The most dangerous church member is the tongue. And we've got to be careful in this area. If we want Eastside to endure and make a difference and last and continue to, to do the work of God that God has called us to, then we've got to be careful of the tongue. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Thank you. Last time I started with an illustration. I just want to mention it again of church property insurance. You know, we have... We have insurance for the building, insurance for the property, insurance on our build, on our vehicles. And every year they come and they do an inspection and they tell us all the things that need to be addressed. And usually it's stuff laying around, that stuff laying in the closet that just gets set in there and now it's blocking an exit. Or, or uh, it, you know, little things like that, stuff that is maybe a fire hazard or stuff that's a tripping hazard. I'm surprised they haven't docked us. Um, for how much weight our coat racks bear, because I don't know that that many Bibles have ever been set and left on a coat rack before, um, but you should take your Bibles home, by the way, so during the week. I mean, there's, there, there is, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff they get you for. 
I mean, little things. And I mean, they, they look at our vehicles and they tell us the things that need to be fixed there. And, and, and they go through and, and, you know, but all the things that they've ever told us about, they've never once said, you know, we really need to add tongue insurance to your church insurance. Uh, they've never come back and said, we really need a tongue clause. Uh, because if they really understood human nature, they would know that our greatest danger is not a risk for fire. Our greatest danger is a risk for fire started with the tongue. It's, it's, it's the, the issues that come with our speech when, when we're not observant or we're not guarding our tongues. And, and we've got to be very careful. The Bible says how great a matter a little fire kindleth. You know, the, 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 the tongue is, is the two-ounce beast. It's only three inches long, but it's destroyed more churches than you want to hear about. It's torn more families apart than we probably care to even understand or know about. It's, it's caused rifts at work. It's caused rifts uh, in communities. What a shame, then, that it happens also among God's people. When a person gets saved, they become a new creature. They're a new creation in our whole life is transformed from top to bottom. We become inhabited by the Holy Spirit and there's no part of us that's left untouched. It's like you know, the baptism this morning and we've got uh, more tonight, which we're, we're excited about. Uh, but you know, when we, when we do the baptism, uh, when you go underwater and you come back up, there's no part of you that's untouched. I mean, every part of you is, is wet and salvation is like jumping into the baptistry. And if you go under, there should be no part of us that comes out untransformed. And yet many of us, as, as Christians, we have these areas, we have these rooms in our house that it seems like we don't let Jesus Christ come and clean out for us. And there's some of us that for a long time in our Christian lives, uh, we, you know, before we, many of you uh, got saved as, as an older person or in your 20s. And by that time, there are many habits in your life. And, and, and it should be that when you get saved, all the things that you did, even as an older person, are cleaned and washed out and taken care of. But some of us have these rooms. And one of those rooms that's often left un, untouched is the area of the tongue. You know, the words that you used to say um, as an unsaved person, those things are difficult to, to, to not say anymore. The things that you used to laugh at. I mean, many of you have been there. You've, you've experienced that. You know what it's like. I mean, I was fortunate enough to be saved as a, as a boy and, and didn't have a lot of opportunities to get into those bad habits. But even as a teenager, I went to public school and I had friends that weren't good for me at times. And, and even then, as a, as a teenager raised in a Baptist preacher's home, there are things that, that I would say or words that I would use that there's no way God would have been pleased with those. And, and it took me time with the Lord and help from the Lord to overcome those. But listen, if you're placed in Christ at salvation, then that should change every part of you, including your speech. Colossians chapter 3, Paul wrote, um, but now ye also put off all these. He, he says, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, which is something from the tongue, filthy communication out of your mouth. He said, lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. And what Paul is saying is, being in Christ should change your speech. 
There should be something about you and I as followers of Jesus Christ that, that, that is different when it comes to the words that we say. There is speech that reflects a transformed life. There are words that, tra- that reflects a transformed life, that reflects the holy nature of Jesus Christ. And friend, if Jesus Christ transformed you within, and gave you a new nature and his Holy Spirit now resides in you, then your tongue should reflect that. And James's test then makes it clear that Christians shouldn't sound like the world when they speak. You know, there is, and what he's saying is there's old man language. That's what he says in Colossians 3. There's old man language and there's new man language. And if you're a new man, you shouldn't pull from over here at the old man. You shouldn't pull the things the old man says. There's, there is language that, that, may, that fits in a bar. And there's language that fits in a, in a locker room. And there's language that fits in a secular or a, a setting where, where people are not re- regenerated. There's language that, that, be, that is becoming of that setting. And that language and that speech and those jokes, though, should not be pulled over. The old man language should not be found among new man Christians. And that's what he's saying. So... You know, he starts to then, he, he's really trying to get them to examine their speech. And, and he, he wants us to ask ourselves, do my, ref, my words reflect my Savior or do they reflect my sin nature? Because we, we have both. We have a Savior. Jesus Christ has transformed us, but we still have that sin nature. Don't you just get tired of it? I mean, just get tired of, of dragging that thing around with you. And it wins way too many battles, but it doesn't have to. So the last time we looked in at the first point of this passage is uh, this is the whole idea that, that I'm coming uh, up to, through this passage with is why the tongue needs to be tamed. And the first point that we made last time, why the tongue needs to be tamed is you will answer for every word that you say. And he talks about teachers and we already mentioned this. The, and we learned last time, the more you say, the more you'll have to answer for. The more words you say. So don't be so quick to, to stand in front of people and say lots of words because the more you say, the more you're going to answer for. Now, I mean, listen, God has for some of you, he has in your future or maybe he has in your present, he wants you to teach and he wants you to influence, but be careful of it. You'll have more to answer for when you start doing it. And, and that's a sobering thought. We, you know, sometimes we want a position or we want influence and we seek maybe the, the authority and we seek these things. But the more you say, the greater your condemnation. On average, they say that most of us maybe speak about 16,000 words a day. And some of you, double that. Others of you, half that. I can think of examples of those that, that probably do double that and those of, that I'm not sure they get to half of that. You know, but, but the more you say, if you think about it, 16,000 words, let's say that's the average. You know what that means? It's a lot to answer for. And when Jesus says that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment, that makes me think that I ought to really measure my words a lot more closely than I do. You know, you might, you might say, I don't use that many words. Well, maybe not, but James makes it clear that this is a problem for all of us. 
He doesn't say it's only the ones that speak a lot of words that have this issue. No, in verse 2, he basically says everybody stumbles. He says, for in verse 2, for in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same as a perfect man and able also to bridle the whole body. He he basically says this is a problem for every one of us. It doesn't matter if you use 4,000 words or 16,000 words or 32,000 words. This is an issue for all of us is the point that he's trying to make. And, and, and so he moves through this and makes that first point that we looked at last time and says, why the tongue needs taming? Why the tongue needs to be tamed? Number one, you'll answer for every word you say. But number two, he says this, your tongue may be small, but it's powerful. So you, you may think, my tongue doesn't need to be tamed. I don't have that much influence. Well, before you think that your tongue doesn't have influence, just consider the examples that James gives when he's trying to describe the power of the tongue. Look at verse 3. Behold, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. He starts with an illustration of a horse, and uh, I, I know there probably aren't a lot of people that have horses in this room. Maybe you do and maybe you understand it. This is a perfect illustration because the bit actually sits on the horse's tongue, which is makes it a perfect illustration for what he's talking about when it's attached to the reins and the bridle, then something so small that sits on the tongue of a horse can, can control the movements of, a, of an extremely powerful animal. I mean, even the most trained and gentle horses, they, they use a bit. If, if you expect them to be trusted and you expect them to be usable, they need to be controlled. And, and friends, it's the same thing with us. The less control over our tongues, the less usable we are to serve the Lord. He gives another example in verse 4. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. He, he talks about a ship's rudder, and, and when you think about a ship's rudder compared to the size of the ship, um, it's very, very small. I mean, comparatively speaking, the size of a rudder compared to the size of a ship or even the size of a boat is very small, but it controls the direction of a vessel. Uh, my wife and I, one time, we, we uh, were, somebody gifted us um, a, a cruise, and so we were able to go on a, on a cruise ship, and it was a most relaxing vacation. I mean, it was a very nice vacation. You can order room service 24 hours a day, okay? So that's a pretty good vacation. And the last night we were on the cruise, uh, we were like, we haven't ordered room service, and, and it's midnight. What are we going to do? So we ordered room service, and, and we didn't even eat it because we'd been eating all the rest of the week, you know? But you can get pizza and you can get ice cream and they've got restaurants you can go to. I mean, and it's just a, a, you, every other day you're in a new country. I mean, it was, a, it was a pretty neat vacation and we enjoyed it. And, but I still, every day I'd wake up and as we walked around the ship, I would not be able to overcome in my mind how gigantic that ship was. The ship that we were on, if I was counting the windows and, and trying to make a guess, then I would have guessed that it was 14 decks tall. So 14 stories tall, floating on water. I mean, over 1,000 feet long with about 3,000 people on board. And yet it's still, I mean, it's, it blows my mind, um, the, the engineering and the physics involved in that. A rock sinks to the bottom of water, but a ship like that stays afloat? I don't understand it, Okay. But it's just giant ship, and, and I still, I was just amazed every day. It's a building floating on the water. 
And, and, and yet I also remember uh, when, when they would turn the ship that, that you could look down and you could see the propellers of the ship and the propellers of the ship compared to the size of the ship. They, I'm sure they were big, but they were tiny compared to the size of the rest of the ship. That's the point that Paul is making. See, we often underestimate the, the tongue because of its size. It's kind of like, you know, when, if, you know, when there's, there's the little guy getting picked on by the big guy and the big guy thinks that he can just, you know, walk all over the little guy until he realizes the little guy is tough and he underestimates the little guy and the little guy, uh, this is for the little guys, okay? Let's little guys in here. You can say amen to that, Brother Mark Grebel, right? We're, and the bullies like Brother Heath, wherever he ended up, you know? <laughs> David and Goliath, here we are. You know, the big guys overlook the little guys, but the little guys sometimes have a fight in them. Well, see, that's, that's what we don't, under, we, we don't um, give the tongue enough credit. We underestimate the power. This little member, this little two-ounce beast, three inches long, has the power of destruction all over it. And the question is, who or what directs the rudder of your life? Uh, who holds the reins? Who's in control of your tongue? You know, some people have no hands on the reins or the rudder and, and they say whatever comes to their mind. Whatever emotion they're feeling, that's what's controlling the reins. That's what's turning the rudder of their ship. Listen, there's only one safe option when it comes to tongue control and that is to give the Holy Spirit the reins of your tongue. And if it's, if it's it may be small, but it's powerful. And if you don't practice control over your tongue, it can't help but get you in a world of trouble. That's what he's saying. Verse 5, uh, he, he says, another illustration. Look, it says, Even so the tongue is a little member, we are to read it, and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. You know, fire has many good uses. I love a fire in the wintertime. And, you know, we, I've talked about our pellet stove before. And, and when it's working right, our family is like moths to a flame. You know, you turn that thing on and, and, and everyone just comes out of the woodwork. You can sense the flames. And when it's cold, they want to go sit next to that fire. And, but a couple of years ago, we had an issue with the stove. And if you know anything about a pellet stove, it has a hopper with all the pellets in it. And the pellets drop down into an auger. And that turns and drops a few pellets at a time every 10 or 15 seconds into the stove and where, it's, where there's a fire burning. And it just slowly feeds the, the fuel into the fire. Well, a few years ago, uh, we, something was going on with it. We weren't paying very close attention to it. And, and the pellets stacked up and stacked up all the way up into uh, the feeder and up into the auger. And all the way, the flame then started going up into the hopper on top of the stove. And that's not supposed to happen. And we didn't, we didn't catch it right away, but we caught it early enough when smoke was coming out of the hopper. Again, not supposed to be happening. So we hurry and, you know, turned it off and scraped all the, pull, pull all the pellets out that we could and tried to figure out the problem. We got up there and, and it jammed. And see, here's the thing. Here's the, the point. See, fire has, fire is good. Fire has benefits. Fire helps and, and it warms you up and it cooks your food. But if a fire is in the wrong place, 
It's not good. It's destructive. And the tongue is like a fire in that a fire in its proper place and being used for the proper reasons can be a helpful thing. But I'm telling you, if a fire gets out of where it's supposed to be, it's absolutely destructive. One small spark in a dry season in a forest could prove catastrophic. This summer, we were flying up to Idaho and, and we, we flew out of Phoenix and, and we flew over this raging forest fire in Arizona. And I'm telling you, hundreds, I, don't, I think it was thousands of acres were burned by this fire. And if, if I, it was the right fire, as I read about it later, it burned for a month and a half. And, and they don't know the, the, the cause of it, but usually it's just a small spark somewhere. Usually it's, it's compared to the, how big the fire gets and the destruction of the fire. That first flame is not very big, but I'm telling you, it's absolutely destructive. That's what he says the tongue can do. And if you've ever used your tongue to, to tear somebody down and you've seen the look on their face when you do it, you know how destructive a fire can be. And you know how destructive words can be. He says also in verse 6, he says it's a world of iniquity. James means that the whole world of evil can can find its expression through the tongue. It's boastful, it's angry, it's bitter, it's cutting. The tongue conveys the worst about us. It's a world of iniquity, he says. And by the way, remember that the tongue is a window to the heart. So the words, it's not just the words we say anymore. It's the words that we type it's the things that you can, you can send over a text. And you say, remember, because remember the, that the tongue is, is a window to the heart. It's not just about the tongue. It's about what the tongue reveals about the heart. So listen, what you type in a text is a revealer of the heart as well. And, and what you put online is a revealer of the heart. And let me just tell our young people that social media is all over it. And, and there are young people, though, that post things on social media. Now they're back, coming back to bite them when they try to get their first job. So be very careful of that stuff. Because you may say, well, you know, I was just playing around or I was just putting it out there. I was, it was a joke. No, but what you put online is a revealer of your heart just as much as what you say. And we've got to be careful. I mean, I think sometimes we're a little bit loose with what we just throw out there on social media. And we don't think about how it comes across or we don't think about the spirit that it conveys. And maybe it'd be good for all of us if you have Facebook or you have Twitter or you have Instagram to have a person that's your accountability person. And, and you say, hey, maybe before I send this, does this sound okay? Or if or you say, I, I want to give you permission that if I put something on Facebook that comes across as a wrong spirit, would you just tell me right away and, and I'll take it down because we, we need to keep each other accountable in the same way that you would ask somebody to help you with your speech. If you're coming across the wrong way, hey, would you just let me know that? It's the same thing on social media, folks. Because those words uh, are a reflection. They're a window to our hearts. He says in verse six, at the end, it setteth on fire the course of nature and it is set on fire of hell. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, the, the word here is Gehenna, which is a valley outside Jerusalem. If, if you understand, then, then you know it was used as the garbage dump. Is all the grossest, nastiest stuff uh, would be thrown into this valley. All the filth of the city was accumulating there. It was a nasty and gross place. And listen, it seems like the tongue can be that way. 
All the nastiness, all the worst about us, uh, it tends to show up. All the sin in our heart tends to show up in our tongue. And it destroys, it can cause destruction in a church body, like the game of telephone. I mean, I've seen that happen. And, you know, where something gets said and it gets passed along inaccurately until by the time it gets over here, man, there are people that aren't going to be friends anymore. It can ruin your relationship. Men, men, it can ruin your relationship with your wife. If you don't control how you say things, if you don't control what you say, you say, well, you know, I think it, I just don't say it. Hey, fix that too, because it's a reflection of the heart. And really what needs to be changed is that heart. And moms, the things that we say to our children in anger or frustration, it, I mean, parents, it can separate you from your children if we say things that are wounding to their spirit. It can destroy your testimony. One commentator said the rabbi spoke of the tongue as an arrow rather than a dagger or sword because it can wound and kill from a great distance. I mean, think about that. It can, it can wreak great damage even when it's far from its victim. And we think about the tongue as being a sword that you might walk up next to somebody and, you know, stab him in the back. No, he, he says, it's, no, it's like an arrow. Because I can be all the way across the room and I can shoot it over there and I can hurt you from over there. I think that's a pretty good description of the destruction and the danger of the tongue. It may be small, but its destruction is huge. James gives another picture in verses 7 and 8. Look at this. For every kind of beasts and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. He says wild animals can be controlled, but not the tongue. You know, God gave, God gave the ability uh, to mankind in Genesis 1 to have dominion over the wild beasts. And it's amazing. It's, have you ever seen somebody uh, that has trained a lion or trained a tiger at the circus? I mean, it blows my mind that they can train those animals. Or, or maybe at SeaWorld, you know, one of those shows where the killer whale, whales or the, or the dolphins are jumping around and don't sit in the splash zone, you know, and one of those kinds of things. It's amazing that they can do that kind of stuff. And, you know, you can train dogs. And, and I don't know how to train dogs. I mean, we have a little dog, and, she's, and she is unruly. I mean, she's a scoundrel. And I was talking to Brother Keith Walk this morning, and he was telling me that he used to have some fish, and the fish would watch TV with him. I was like, ah, man, that's cool. My dog doesn't even recognize the TV. She's just like, I don't understand it. He had a turtle, and he trained his turtle. I mean, you talk, if you want good stories, talk to Keith Walk. He's got some good ones. You know, a 10-foot tiger that can rip you apart? Oh, we can train that. But a two-ounce beast that sits in your mouth? Untamable. Full of deadly poison, he says. I read one of Hitler's quotes earlier this week, and he said, nothing will prevent me from tearing up Christianity, root and branch. He said, we're not out against 101 different kinds of Christianity, but against Christianity itself. All people who profess creeds are traitors to the people. Even those Christians who really want to serve the people, we have to suppress 
I myself am a heathen to the core. And you think, well, that's some crazy talk there. But you know, his words poisoned a whole nation and they bought into his words. And less than 10 years later, uh, they created uh, Zyklon B, which is a gas. And they would dump, I mean, hundreds of people at a time into a room and gas them in those death camps over there. And, and his words turned into poison. And, and, and we've, you know, by the way, it doesn't sound too different than the secular socialists in, that, are in, that are rising in our governments right now when it comes to Christianity. We've got to be really careful. That's where it leads. It's not just about socialism. It's about a godless atheistic society. That's what they're shooting for. And they're looking to destroy Christianity. And, and that's where we're, I mean, we can't just allow it to happen. I mean, we've got a vote coming up in a, in a month that's an important vote. You know, so let's make sure that, we, that, that we're voting not just based on party lines, but upon, uh, upon God's word as much as we can. And our words are poison. They can destroy relationships and they can, des- they can destroy friendships. And some of you probably today don't have a friend that used to be your friend because of words that were said. They destroy youth groups. They destroy churches, workplaces, schools. They tear families apart. Listen, you must tame your tongue. And if you don't think it's that important of an issue, I'm telling you, it destroys everything it touches. That's why you need to tame your tongue. The third reason to tame your tongue here is because your tongue reveals who you really are. It's a revealer. And as soon as you start thinking, well, I've gained some traction, it betrays you. You know what I mean? I mean, you think, well, I've got some self-control, and then, and then suddenly something slips out. Verse 10, he says, out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to, so to be. See, we're all prone to double talk. I mean, one minute you're encouraging somebody, and the next minute you're bad-mouthing them. One day you're forgiving others and the next you're calling them names. One Sunday you're, you're praising the preacher and the next Sunday you're, you're tearing him down. Be careful of that. Uh, and not just because it's my position, um, but because uh, your children are listening. And if they're being fed the word of God through the man of God and, and you cloud their view of the man of God, you're going to impact their spiritual growth for years to come. And so it's not just about me. It's about putting your family, putting your children in the best position possible to grow. That's the inconsistency of the tongue, though. I mean, we, we like to think that the positive words, that's the reflection of our heart. I mean, when I'm saying good things, that's who I really am. It's not when I say the bad things or the negative things, that's the exception. But I'm not sure that's the case. Paul says the default is the negative. That's who we really are. Don't assume that the positive words are your true heart and the negatives are just, they just happen every once in a while. No, assume the worst about yourself so that you can stay on guard with it when it comes to your tongue. Your tongue is inconsistent. It's as inconsistent as your heart because your heart is inconsistent. Young person, your words are rebellious because your heart is rebellious. Moms, your words are sharp and cutting because that's the heart. 
And dads, your words are critical and, and harsh because of the condition of a heart. Church member, listen, your words tear others down because the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. I'm not trying to like just beat you up tonight. I'm trying to let you under, help you understand that it's not just about the words we're saying. The words we're saying are revealing what's happening on the inside. And our heart, the Bible says, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. And what what it means is that the direction of our life is going to be determined by the condition of our hearts. So don't just bury your head in the sand. If your words reveal something about your heart that you don't like, no, pay attention and say, no, listen, that's a revealer of where my heart really is. And I better fix something in my relationship with God because that my, if my heart isn't right, I'm going to end up in the wrong place in my life. Now, let's be careful. This, you know, this isn't just about beating us up. This is about, about fixing our course. But look at what James says in verse 10. He says, my brethren, these things ought not so to be. See, the first step to change in our words is to admit we're the the problem. It's a heart problem. And it's not the church's problem. And young people, it's not your parents' fault. Uh, it's, It's not just our friends or family. We say what we say because our hearts are what they are. And James uses the example of nature as something that's more consistent than we are. He says a fountain, you don't one day go to the fountain and you, you put in your cup and you, you get a good drink of water and then, and then you pull another cup out and put it in the same fountain and get a, now a bitter, poisonous drink of water. He said, you know, it's interesting. He says nature is more consistent than our hearts are. Because you can trust a fountain. If it's giving you one good drink, it's going to give you another good drink. Uh, he said you can trust uh, the, uh, a grapevine. It's not going to give olives. You know, so he says, you can trust nature. He says, but your heart is inconsistent. And it's not trustworthy. It, you, you can't lean on it. You can't assume that everything's always going to be good with it. Streams produce one kind of water. Trees produce one kind of fruit. But there are Christians that are producing good speech and bad speech. All at the same time. Some words are good. Some words are bad. And he says it, not, it ought not so to be. And if you don't work on making your speech as consistent as your relationship to Christ, um, listen, don't, don't just try to change your speech. You don't need to change your words. You need to change your heart. Amen. If our speech fails the Christian test, then, you know, then we've got to t- pay attention. You know, listen, if we're using cuss words... You say, well, this sounds like a really, sounds like a teenager kind of message. Now, I've been around adults. I mean, I remember as a teenager, one of the key men in our church took me golfing one time. And, you know, he got frustrated at one point and used a word. I mean, I was just, I was just shocked. And, you know, he was a, he was a godly man. He was a spiritual person. But in that moment, um, you know, and he apologized and he you know, he was very sorry for it, and he was humble about it. You know, in that moment, in, in my mind as a, as a teenage boy, I was thinking, you know what, if, if he can slip up, then any of us are capable. And if he can say something that he shouldn't say, then, then I've got to really be on my guard, because I'm not the kind of man that he is. 
And it was very telling for me and, and it, was, it was sobering and yet helpful because it, let me realize, it helped me to realize that all of us, listen, if we let our guard down, if our heart is, is, is not in the right condition one day and we're put in the right position, listen, we're capable of saying just about anything. You know, does your speech, does your speech fail the Christian test? What, what kind of language do you use? And young people, you know, this is very important uh, for a, a youth group. Because there's, there are certain factions in a youth group that think, if I can use edgy speech, if I can kind of, if, if I can push the envelope with the things that I say, you know, I'm cool. No, remember what it says in verse 1, that be not many masters, you receive the greater condemnation. And listen, some of you older guys and older girls, you have influence in the youth group. And if you use your influence to start a trend in the youth group, to use language that's inappropriate, that's going to carry on. You've got a lot to answer for. It's not cool to use bad language in the youth group. It's not cool to make uh, crude jokes or inappropriate comments. It's not appropriate uh, to push the envelope when the adults aren't around. In adults, it's not appropriate. You know, and we, we ought to be just as mindful um, as the adults of Eastside Baptist Church that we're careful with the things that we're saying too and the words that we're using and the subjects that we're talking about and listen, and the jokes that we're making. Because I mean, I've heard, I've heard the envelope get, get pushed from, from adults that should know better. And we've got to be mindful because we'll receive the greater condemnation. There's another generation listening to every word we say. And they're, and they're listening to the kind of jokes that we think are funny and, and, and the way that we push the envelope. Listen, we've got to subject our speech to this test here of, our, of the tongue. You know, we, we tear others down, we criticize, we, we use words to hurt those that are closest to us. And if our speech fails the test, it, don't, it won't work just to change our words. No, we must ask God for a change of heart. What does your speech say about your heart tonight? Do you use one list of words at church and another outside of it? Do you lose your temper and get angry easily? Do you find yourself criticizing and complaining when things don't go your way? Do you blame others for your problems? Let me remind you what Jesus said in Luke 6, 45. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For, out of, the, for of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. And it is impossible for the mouth to speak independently. And you know, if you plug a computer monitor into a computer, but you never turn the computer on, that monitor won't show anything. It's impossible for the mouth to speak independently from the heart. The tongue speaks what the mind thinks and what the heart feels. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying the mouth is simply the mouthpiece of the heart. And if your tongue is inconsistent, it's because your heart is inconsistent. So stop trying to change your speech. Seek the Lord for a change of heart. You know, read verse 2 again. Look what it says. It's, this is not an exaggeration. It's literal. He said, For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. See, suppose that we set up a contest, a 
find out, I mean, uh, the whole world. We set up this contest to see uh, who never sins with their mouth. And we, we send out, you know, this email or we, we put it on social media and we're trying to find somebody who's never messed up with their mouth. And we offer $100 million if we can find somebody that has never offended with their tongue, with their speech. So we search high and low and near and far and we, every man, every woman, every boy, every girl from all nations and all continents. And some are close. Some are impressive. But the Bible says that none are perfect. Except Jesus. See, Peter said in 1 Peter 1, uh, 1 Peter 2, 2, 22, he did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. You know what that means? It means you don't need new speech habits. You need more of Jesus Christ. Only he has the power to change us from the inside out. And if you are going to tame the untamable two-ounce beast, then you need proximity to the one who created it. He's the only one with the power to help you. And you know he has the power to help you because he lived his whole life and not once was guile found in his mouth. The most dangerous church member weighs two ounces, but it has destroyed churches and families and relationships and Sunday school classes and youth groups and communities and nations. And we of all people, brethren, it ought not so to be right here at Eastside Baptist Church. There's three reasons to tame your tongue. Number one, you'll find that you'll answer for every word you say. Number two, it's small, but it's destructive. And number three, it reveals what you really are. So I want to ask you, I want you to ask yourself tonight, what does my tongue say about my heart? I mean, what, the things I've been saying, what do they say about my heart? The words I've been using, what does it say? The jokes I've been telling, what does it say? The things I've been typing, what does it say? The way that I've been speaking to those that, that I'm around, that I should love and cherish and treat well, what does that say? The way I've been talking to them, men, the way you've been talking to your wife, what does it say about your heart? Wives, the way you've been talking about your husband, what does it say about your heart? Uh, the way you've been talking about that person that you're supposed to be your friend, what does it say about your heart? Listen, tonight is really not so much a tongue examination as it is a heart examination. The tongue is simply revealing what our hearts really are. And I think it'd be good for us to place ourselves under this test from James and think about it this way. Brethren, it ought not so to be. Not at Eastside. Not among God's people. Not in our house. Not in my marriage. Not, in my, not with my children. Not at work. I mean, I, they know my testimony. Brethren, it ought not so to be at work because they know who I am and who I claim to be. It ought not so to be in, in, in the people like this right here at Eastside. Let's examine ourselves tonight and let's look, take a closer look at the two ounce beast. Let's stand together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want to encourage you to take some time tonight and, and do business with the Lord again. You know, the Bible says that nobody's perfect in this area. And I know it's humbling. I know it would be humbling then to respond to a message like this. And we might be tempted to think, well, you know, I don't want anybody to think 
that my tongue is out of control. Hey, we already know. The Bible says that we're all guilty. And they all, we all have a ways to go. And so, I mean, I'm telling you, I would rather just get it right than hold on to some kind of appearance. So let's, let's ask the Lord to help us to be transformed in this area of our speech. Maybe it's at home. Parents with your children or siblings with each other. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's what you've been saying under your breath. Maybe it's a, a spirit of criticism that comes out. However, however it looks, it's a condition. It's a revealer of the condition of the heart. And so let's ask God to help us to have a heart reflection and examination tonight. Father. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.